This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Pray together. And so, Lord, we, we ask you, Spirit of the living God, would you fall fresh on us today? Would you anoint us with fresh oil? Uh, Lord, would you move as only you can, can do? Lord, there, there are things that need to happen in, in our lives that, that we can't do and no human being can, can do but you have the power to do it. And so, Lord, we, we ask for your spirit now to, to work deeply, powerfully through your, your word and into our lives, out through our living. And we give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a story about four guys who were on a small, private plane. The pilot, there was a, a computer whiz, a, a high-tech, high, high tech Silicon Valley type of, of guy, a pastor, and a Boy Scout. Well, the plane was in trouble, and the engine was sputtering, and they were losing altitude, and they were preparing to go into a dive, and it was apparent We've got to grab four parachutes. The problem is that there were only three parachutes that were on the plane. Well, the pilot said, you know, I've got a wife and four kids at home. I've got to have a parachute. I've got to jump. So he grabs a parachute, jumps out of the plane. The, uh, the big Silicon Valley guy, the big, big, big tech guy says, you know, I possess knowledge that the world must have as we move deeper into the 21st century. He said, I, this, all of this knowledge that I possess cannot die with me. And so he just grabs a parachute and hurls himself out. The pastor looks at the Boy Scout and he says, son, you know what? I've lived a long, full life and you've got most of your life ahead of, of you, you take the last parachute, I'll go down with the plane. The Boy Scout said, oh pastor, don't worry, the brilliant computer whiz grabbed my knapsack <laughs> and jumped out of the plane. <laughs> you know, Romans 12, 3 Romans 12, 3 says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But see, thinking, thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to think comes so naturally to us because pride is so deeply ingrained in our sin nature. So how do we deal with pride? And how do we cultivate humility? Let's talk about that 
open your Bibles to Luke chapter 14 this morning. Luke chapter 14, and we're going to look here at verses 1 through 14. In this series, Tell Me the Story of Jesus, we're walking through the Gospel of Luke. You see me dabbing my eyes. It's because they're running, uh, because of allergies. Uh, Maybe I will cry at some point while I'm preaching, but it's not happening now. Uh, My eyes are running like crazy these days. But anyway, um, in in this series, we're looking especially, we're walking through Luke's Gospel, and we're looking especially at passages that are unique to the Gospel of Luke. And so today we're doing that again. We're going to see here an incident that we only see in Luke, and then Jesus is going to tell a parable to kind of flesh out the meaning of that, and most of that material is found only in Luke as well, pride and humility. So what do we, what do we, what do we see here um, as we look at Luke chapter 14 and verses 1 through 14? One Sabbath, when he went in to eat at the house of one of the leading Pharisees, they were watching him closely. There in front of him was a man whose body was swollen with fluid. In response, Jesus asked the law experts and the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. He took the man, healed him, and sent him away. And to them, he said, which of you whose son or ox falls into a well will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? They could find no answer to these things. He told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they would choose the best places for themselves. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, Don't sit in the place of honor because a more distinguished person than you may have been invited by your host. The one who invited both of you may come and say to you, give your place to this man. And then in humiliation, you will proceed to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when the one who invited you comes, he will say to you, friend, Move up higher. You will then be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. He also said to the one who had invited him, When you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back and you would be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Wow, there's a lot going on here. So what do we see in this text? First of all, we see something about hard-hearted pride. Hard-hearted pride. Let's look at the situation in, in, in verse 1. It happens on a Sabbath. One Sabbath, when he went in to eat at the house of one of the leading Pharisees, they were watching him 
closely. So it was not uncommon for people to have a, a meal after worship on the Sabbath and to invite the guest speaker at the synagogue to that meal. And probably Jesus has taught at the synagogue that day. So it would not have been unusual for him to be at this meal. And it's at the house of a leading Pharisee, a religious big wig, and there are a bunch of law experts, experts in the religious law, you know, and they're, they're all there. But, you know, typically you would invite the, the, the one who had taught that day to come and, and, and the conversation would center around what he had taught because you wanted to learn more. That was not the case with these guys. They don't invite Jesus to come because they want to learn more. They invite him to come because it says that they were watching him closely. They were looking for fault. You know, a mark of pride is that we're, we're looking for fault in others. You know, do, you, do you look for fault in your spouse? I didn't ask you whether or not they had faults. We all have faults. It's not the issue. The issue is, is your mentality to, are you looking for fault? Or are you looking to lift them up and encourage them? Are you looking for fault in your kids? Kids, are you looking for fault in your parents? Are you looking for fault in your colleagues and the people that you work with? Are you looking for fault in your brothers and sisters in Christ at church? Are you looking for fault in your pastor? You can surely find it there. That's not, the, the issue is not can we find fault in flawed human beings? Yes, we can. The issue is what is our mentality? What are we looking for? Are you looking for fault? That's a pride problem. Because when we're looking for fault in other people, we're overlooking our own. Well, these guys are looking for fault in the one person who has none. <laughs> but they didn't, think, they didn't think that Jesus was without fault. They think he has plenty of faults, and they are looking to trap him. They are, they are looking, they're looking for faults. That's why they're watching him closely. And it says in verse 2, there in front of them was a man whose body was swollen with fluid. Now, last week in chapter 13, we, we saw a, a, on another Sabbath day, there was a woman who, who was completely bent over and unable to straighten herself, just in a pitiful condition. And here we meet another human being who is just in a, in a pitiful situation physically. And obviously there's a disease that was causing him to swell with fluid, whether it was you know, a, a kidney problem or, uh, or some other issue, some blockage or, or whatever. There, there, was, there was obviously a disease that was happening in his body. He is pitifully swollen with fluid. Won't it be wonderful when we get glorified bodies? <laughs> You know, no more bent over bodies, no more bodies swollen with fluid, no more bodies that are subject to cancer or, you know, the, the ravages of, of aging, no more bodies that are subject to, to physical uh, health issues or mental health issues. 
right now, we have perishable bodies. A lot of bad stuff can happen to our bodies and minds. It's not always going to be this be so. Because if you are in Christ, one day you are going to have a glorified body. Philippians 3 and verses 20 and 21 says our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body. Easter's just a couple of weeks away. We're gonna celebrate a savior who walked out of that tomb One day when Christ comes again, the bodies that we have, we're going to be transformed to have bodies like the one that he came out of the tomb with. They're going to be glorified bodies. They're going to be physical, but yet imperishable, not subject to disease and brokenness and aging and none of that. 1 John 3, 2 says that when he appears, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. You know, we sung earlier about new creation, you know. Do you feel the world is broken? It is. But as a new creation coming, it is. Yes, because Christ is coming. As we talked about last week, the miracles that we see in the Gospels are signs that are pointing to that new creation, pointing to the new heaven and earth that Christ is going to bring about. No more brokenness in the world, no more brokenness in bodies. Now the question here is, what is this guy doing at a meal like this? Because you can better believe at the house of one of the leading Pharisees with all of these experts in religious law sitting around the table, the concern for ritual purity would have been off the charts. There is no way that these Pharisees and experts in the law were going to invite a diseased guy to their meal. No, he's not invited. But as we talked about in chapter 7, you know, when the woman came into the, the, the room and, you know, the former prostitute whose life had been transformed by, by Jesus and she, you know, she comes into, comes into this, this meal. You know, she wasn't invited. But we talked about the fact that, that a lot of times at meals like this where discussions were taking place, the door would be open. And so it was not unusual for townspeople to come in and kind of stand against the wall and just listen in on the, the, the discussion that was taking place. That's probably the case with this guy. And Jesus looks up and he sees him. And his heart goes out to him. And he knows he's going to heal him. But before he does, he has a question for all those sitting at the table. Verse 3. In response, Jesus asked the law experts and the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Notice here that he says, in response, he said, in response, Jesus asked them this. Well, that's interesting because they haven't said anything at this point. Jesus knows what they're thinking. He knows exactly what's on their minds. And as we saw last week in chapter 13, 
you know, they had set up this rule that you, couldn't, you weren't supposed to heal on the Sabbath because you weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath, right? That's in the Ten Commandments, you know, not to work on the, 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 the Sabbath. That was, that was part of Old Testament law. But then what had happened is that the rabbis had a whole system of man-made rules and regulations that they had attached to the Old Testament. Just like a lot of times legalistic Christians today will say, okay, yeah, I know what the Bible says, but I need, we need to kind of flesh this out. So let's you know, devise our own system of man-made rules to go on top of what Scripture says. Um, no, that's a problem. But that's exactly what these guys had, had done. So they had in their mind, hey, he, healing someone, that's like work. There's nothing in the Old Testament about that, but they made up their own rule. And so they didn't think Jesus should be healing people on the Sabbath. He, 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 he knew that. Verse 4. In response to his question, it says they kept silent. They're just sullen. Sulking. Sulking in silence. Stewing. Verse 4 again, he took the man, healed him, and sent him away. Now there's some really beautiful things here that are not apparent on the surface. So the word sent here in Greek means release, to loose. What is one of the themes that we've been talking about in, in Luke? It's freedom. That Christ sets us free, that he looses us, he delivers us, he releases us. And kind of a touchstone verse for us in Luke is what Jesus says in chapter 4 and verse 18 when he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed. Are you stuck today? Are you bound up by something today? Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's some situation or problem where you just feel powerless to free yourself. Friend, I want to tell you something. Jesus Christ is the one who gives deliverance to the captives. Cry out to him. Invite him to come into that situation and into your life and take over. Because when the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. There's something else here in verse 4 that's not, not apparent on the surface, and it's the word took. It says here that, that Jesus, Jesus took him and healed him. New Testament scholar Daryl Bach points out here that when Jesus took, took him, that it's, it's, it's certainly physical, and it's probably an embrace. Bear in mind, this is a person that nobody else even wanted to touch. They didn't even want him in the room. And Jesus takes him in his arms and embraces him, and heals him, 
and then releases him, sets him free. You know, Jesus yearns to take you in his arms and to deal with that stuff that's, 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 binding, that's binding you. But in order for that to happen, you've got to let go and surrender. You've got to put your pride aside and just let yourself fall into his arms and let him deal with what needs to be dealt with. Verse five, and to them he said, which of you whose son or ox falls into a well will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? Now, very similar to the text that we saw last week in chapter 13, Jesus here uses an analogy to expose their hypocrisy because this is a rhetorical question. Everybody knows the answer. You know, any of these guys, if, you know, if, their, if their child, even their ox, fell into a well on the Sabbath day, they would immediately lift them out as they should. It would be cruel to do otherwise. But they're perfectly fine with just sitting there with cold hearts and allowing you know, this guy to suffer rather than be healed on the Sabbath. Again, with legalism, man-made rules blind us to the rule of God, which is about loving him and loving others. Matthew 22, Jesus has asked, teacher, which command in the law, in the law is the greatest? He said to them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, this is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. But see, it's a whole lot easier to construct our own system with our own rules. Rules that we can check off than it is to actually love God and love our neighbors as ourselves. You see, in, in legalism, when you construct your own system, when you get to check off all the blocks yourself, you get to be in control. But I want to tell you something. In order to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself, the Holy Spirit's got to be in control. Verse 6. they could find no answer to these things. Of course not. <laughs> because there was no answer. Instead, there is a question. A question that is just left there hanging in the air for them and for every single one of us. Are you content to live in cold-hearted, human-controlled religion or will you surrender and let the Holy Spirit bring you into an authentic relationship with God where you learn to love God and love your neighbor? The second thing that we see in this text is compassionate humility. 
Look at verse 7. He told a parable to those who were invited. It's the same, same gathering here, same house, right? Still at this meal. And so Jesus tells a parable. He told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they would choose the best places for themselves. Now, do you catch Luke's sense of humor here? <laughs> how did this text begin? He says in verse 1 that they were watching Jesus closely. Well, guess what? Jesus has been watching them closely. And Jesus sees how as they file into the room, they're all angling for the place of power and status. See, the, the meal was hosted by one of the leading Pharisees, a bigwig. And Jesus notices as they come into the room, like they want, they want to get as close as they can to the, the biggest cat on the block. Before we hammer on the Pharisees, we have our own ways of angling for status and power. And we don't even have to be taught to do this. It's ingrained in our sinful nature. Even as kids growing up, you know, we want to be near the cool kids. <laughs> the problem is that after we grow up, we don't always grow out of that tendency. We just get more sophisticated about it. We all have our own ways of angling for status and acclaim, human acclaim, approval, power. Verses 8 and 9, Jesus says, When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, don't sit in the place of honor because a more distinguished person than you may have been invited by your host. The one who invited both of you may come and say to you, give your place to this man, and then in humiliation, you will proceed to take the lowest place. How humiliating. You, know, you thought you were going to be one of the cool kids, and then somebody cooler than you came in. And now you got to go, not just out of your seat, but to the back of the line. This is the rat race that most human beings in the world live in. This is it. Clawing our way to the top, you know, craving the approval of human beings, yearning for the praise of human beings, yearning for social status, for power, human power. Jesus says, drop out of the rat race. Drop out. And let me tell you a refreshing way to live. Verse 10. But when you are invited... Go and sit in the lowest place, so that when the one who invited you comes, he will say to you, friend, move up higher. You will then be honored in the presence of all the other guests. Now, this is not just Jesus dispensing wise etiquette on seating arrangements. No, Jesus is getting ready to give a life principle. Verse 11 
For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Quit worrying about how you're viewed by other people. Quit worrying about your status. Quit worrying about, you know, who... Uh, how many likes you have or how many followers you have on social media, right? Quit worrying about and yearning for human acclaim and approval. Quit clawing your way to the top of the pecking order and instead go for the bottom. Go for the bottom and deny yourself and take up your cross and follow the one who came not to be served, but to serve. And instead of looking for fault or looking for status or approval, be looking for the one who was overlooked. Be looking for ways that you can encourage and love and lift up people. Be looking for ways that you can humbly serve. This is the way of Jesus. Verse 12. He also said to the one who had invited him, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors because they might invite you back and you would be repaid. Now, <clears throat> Jesus is using hyperbole here. You don't have to call mom this afternoon and disinvite her from Easter lunch or anything. That's kind of not the point. But what it does mean is that not just with table fellowship, but with life in general, be looking for the overlooked. Be looking for those who are outside, outcast. Don't just be looking for people who look like you, talk like you, agree with you. And don't just be looking for people who are in a position to benefit you, socially or financially. Verses 13 and 14. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And here we circle back around to the theme of watching. Someone's watching. Someone sees. God sees every humble act of service. He sees every kind, encouraging word that you speak. He sees every selfless act of love and service 
on your part. God sees it all. And God will reward it all in eternity. Let's pray. Christians, think of this. Many of us have heard the expression, only one life will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last and last and last. God sees. You know, 1 Corinthians 3 and this text and many other texts in God's word make it crystal clear that when we stand before God one day as believers and he says, roll tape, there's a lot of stuff that's going to end up on the cutting room floor. What's going to last? Invest your life in that. That's treasures in heaven. Invest your life in the things that matter for all eternity. It's loving him. It's loving others. We get one brief life to do this. And if you are not yet in Christ today, in this room, maybe watching a stream or listening to a message, it doesn't even have to be today, it can be at a point in time in the future, but God had you listening and watching. And he's put you here for a reason. Jesus here talks about the resurrection of the righteous. Those who know him, those who are in Christ, those who have turned to Jesus in repentance and faith are going to be a part of that resurrection. Let me ask you, are you going to be a part of it? Are you united to a risen Savior through faith? Are you united to the risen one? Are you in Christ today? Drop out of the rat race of trying to live life for yourself. Turn from that. And turn to Jesus. Turn to the one who loves you like nobody else loves you. And he's proven that love by dying for your sins on a cross. And he has risen from the dead so that you can have abundant life and eternal life, but you've got to surrender and let him take control and receive him as your savior and Lord and king. Do that today, cry out to him now, put yourself in his arms today. And join another race. (laughs) Hebrews 12 talks about a race where with the life that we've been given here on earth, that we're running this race and as we run it, we're looking to Jesus. We're gonna stand and sing in just a moment. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Fix your eyes on him.
if you're here today as a believer, maybe you just need to come and pray at the altar or just come pray with me or one of the pastors. Or if you're here today and you're saying, I'm turning to Jesus and trusting in him, we would love to talk with you about that. Maybe, or maybe you're here today and you would say, you know what, I want to be, I want to be, I need to be baptized. I'm, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I haven't been baptized yet as a believer. You come, you come. We would love to pray with you and set that up for you. And so, Father, we pray that you would, would work in our lives right now as we respond to your word. Lord, help us to turn our eyes to you. Lord, may the things of this world just grow strangely dim as we look to Jesus, his wonderful face. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Oh, so are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior And life more abundant and free So turn your eyes upon Jesus Look full in His wonderful face And the things of In the light of his glory and grace Through death into life everlasting He passed and we follow him there Over us sin no more has dominion For more than conquerors so turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory. His word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying. His perfect salvation to tell. Okay, before you head out, is Jeff Mingy still here? Jeff, Jeff, come on up, man. So um, many of you got to meet Jeff this past summer. He preached for me on sabbatical. 
Um, but I knew it was here today, so we go back a ways. Um, Jeff was on staff with me uh, years ago and uh, came on as our student pastor. And well, even before that, um, he was a college student. And so we just started, he asked, can we, can, will you meet with me and we'll start, can we read the Bible together and begin to talk and kind of a discipleship relationship. And so we began to do that and, uh, and God called him to preach and went to seminary and he's got a wonderful wife and family. He went off to, to plant Catalyst Church. But now Jeff serves with the, the SBC of Virginia in our, in our area, the Southeast region, um, and helping to strengthen existing churches and helping to, to plant um, new churches. So it's a really important position. And, and this guy texts me every Sunday morning to let me know he's praying for me. And so we get the privilege today of praying for you. Oh, thank you. It means so much. And we, and we appreciate you. We appreciate the SBCV. And so um, I invite you guys to step over. We've got some displays um, over in the Family Life Center of just different, different things that we're involved in as a church um, with, with missions. And so I um, invite you to that fellowship here in, in, just, in just a moment. Um, but we want to pray. Carlton Farmer, I see you. Come up here. A Car Carlton, Carlton serves with, um, with the Crisis Pregnancy Center of Tidewater. We love this guy. We're so thankful to be a part of that ministry um, as well. Um, and so um, just be, be praying for folks that we're involved in, whether it's locally, state, international. Um, it's, it's really cool to be a part of a church thinking beyond beyond itself so let's pray together father we we thank you for the opportunity to worship you together this morning lord we thank you for being able to celebrate believers baptism together to sing praise together to pray together to dig into the scriptures together and lord we thank you for just to being able to worship you through uh giving and lord where where our our gifts just touch a lot of people and the ripple effects and concentric circles of, of, of church and community and state and nation and, and the world with the gospel, Lord. So we want to be a church that's giving and going and, and praying on mission. And so, Lord, um, we, we thank you for just all the different partnerships that we're involved in. Um, we'll get to see some of those after uh, service here in just a moment. Um, Lord, thank you for Carlton and just the beautiful ministry that we get to be involved in with the Crisis Pregnancy Center of, of Tidewater. And Lord, just thank you for my brother Jeff, Lord. Um, thank you for in your providence uh, just bringing us together years ago. Um, thank you for um, the work that he's doing with the SBCV and just being able to, to, to see that um, as, as one of the pastors in this region um, Lord, we, we pray um, for, uh, for, for, for Jeff uh, as, he, as he, his hand is to the plow um, in that work. And so, Lord, just bless him and Lauren and their, their kids, Lord, and have your, have your hand on him in, in every way. We thank you for just the great work of, um, of our state convention and being, being able to be a part of a family of churches like that. Um, as, we, as we work together to be on mission for you. Remind us now that as we go forth from this place today, that we're walking out into a world that's broken and hurting 
and that needs Christ and help us to remember that we're sent on mission. We ask it in Jesus' name. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. 